This morning we're going to be in John chapter 12, 1 through 19. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he had called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for the word, Lord. I thank you for your, the light that it can shine into our lives, Lord. And so I just pray, Lord, we would, we would just cast our burdens at your feet this morning and just be washed in your word, Lord. I just pray your anointing on Jackie, Lord, that you would speak through him this morning, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, I just lift up our nation to you, Father. I just lift up our homes and our, and our towns and our states and, and, and the whole nation, Lord. I just pray hearts would turn to you, repent, Lord, and believe, Lord. I, in you, we, we can find our hope, Lord, instead of despair, Lord. In you, we can, we can have peace instead of anxiety, Lord. In you, we can have love instead of hate, Lord. And so I just pray uh, your blessing and anointing on this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, this morning we're going to be taking a look at John chapter 12. Are you, what's the matter? I'm smiling at you. <laughs> She's sending code, but I didn't get it. So, okay. <laughs> Aw, was, that wasn't the code, just so you know. I don't, I'm not sure what I'm in trouble for, but I have to wait. I'll, I'll, I'll hear about it later. So, we're going to be in John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12 is a pivotal chapter in the, in the book of John. We, we've moved from, remember we said, we have seven signs, seven I am statements, seven public discourses that, that Jesus gives. We get to John 12 and we transition. At John 12, moving forward, this is the last week. So, the rest of the book of John is all in one week period of time. And as we make that transition, this chapter is going to kind of move around five different acts, five different acts that take place. We're going to look at them. The anointing of Bethany, we'll see today, the triumphal entry, uh, the Greeks that are seeking an audience with Christ, uh, the witness of prophecy of who Jesus is, we'll take a look at Isaiah 53 when we do that. And then a final challenge to believe. So that's all wrapped up in John chapter 12 as we move, we're, now we're picking up speed, moving 
toward the cross. So we're heading in that direction. So, so as we look at this chapter, we have this transitional time taking place. He says now, uh, in, in verse 1, six days before the Passover. Yes, that's the Passover where we're going to see Jesus on the cross. So we're moving in that direction. Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. So we see Mary, Martha, Lazarus here at this dinner in Bethany. The other gospels tell us that that this was at Simon the leper's house. And there's some interesting ideas floating out there that uh, may be true. We have no solid fact on it that the house they're at in Bethany, Simon the leper's, is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' dad that Jesus healed earlier in his ministry. Now, that's supposition. I can't prove any of it. It's a lot of tradition wrapped up in that, but it makes the story interesting, like, why are they there? Why are they gathered in this place? Why would they have a, a celebration for Lazarus, who we just saw last week raised from the dead, right? That's a big deal. Who's likely to throw that, uh, that party? Well, certainly if the family's around, it would, be, uh, would not be uncommon for that to take place. And then seeing Martha serve there and Lazarus sitting at the table like he would if it was in his own home, makes more sense. Uh, some of those customs, I guess, in the background uh, may make more sense. It doesn't, doesn't matter whether it is or it isn't, but one of the things we see in the three people, we're going to see Mary in just a moment, but Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are all fulfilling or doing, using their gifts very naturally. And this is one of the things I want to remind us, especially during the season. Nobody is uh, asking you to be um, something outside or to do something outside of your giftings. Here's what I mean. Martha's serving because that's where Martha's comfortable. She's comfortable serving. Now, should God direct Martha to do more? That's great. Martha can do more, but it's okay that Martha's doing what she does. What she does is serve. And so she's going to do that. The Bible just just says that's what, who she is, right? Martha's a servant. We've seen this in other stories, other times dealing with Martha. Lazarus was raised from the dead. What's he doing? Well, he's being a witness. Yeah, can you imagine the conversation at the table? And what exactly does Lazarus have to offer? So Lazarus, what happened to you? I don't know. I was dead. Now I'm alive. Yeah, how do you do that? I don't know. Just him being there, right, in the area that they were in, he was a witness to the people who knew what? He was dead, now he's alive. That's exactly how the Bible describes our salvation, isn't it? That though we were once dead in our trespasses and sin, Christ has what? Made us alive together with him. So, so how is it that we witness that? It's not because you, you are an expert in theology. You're welcome to be a theology nerd like some of us are. You're, you're welcome to, to pursue all of that stuff, but you need to recognize your life being changed from death to life is a witness, so Lazarus is witnessing just being a new creation created in Christ Jesus, right? Sitting at the table amongst the friends who knew he was dead and now he's alive. And Mary, she worshiped. Now, I don't mean this to say servers can't worship or worshipers can't serve. I just mean this to say we all have giftings that I believe God has given us that are uh, areas that the Spirit anoints us naturally. Some people are naturally encouragers, right? And so what I'm saying is encourage. Some people are, are natural consolers, right? You have compassion, empathy. Then, then do so. Be compassionate and empathetic. If we're looking at ways, how do I get started plugging in and watching the body of Christ be all the things that it needs to be? Just be who you are in Christ and do what comes natural. Amen. And 
everything is going to be so much easier. Yeah, Mary is going to give this incredible picture for us. We're going to see it in a moment. Incredible picture of worship and anointing of Christ for his burial. But all three were, there's no rebuke here from Jesus to them. They're being who they are in Christ. And that's good, not bad. So we want to, I want to encourage you in that. This, this season, if you're an encourager, find somebody to encourage. You come to church on a Sunday and you have compassion, give somebody a hug. If you don't want to touch, say kind words from a distance. I don't know, whatever it is that enables you to be and utilize your gifts at that moment. And stop waiting for somebody else to do it. Be the person, right? Be the encourager. Be the one who can come alongside and pray for a brother. Whatever the thing is. Wherever it is, I just want to encourage you to do that. Because here, I just want you to see it's, it's natural. Nobody's making something happen, right? There's not a committee. We're going to get together at a committee and decide where your natural gifts are. And then we're going to tell Mary, you need to go serve because you're worshiping too much. And Martha, you're serving, so we want you to go uh, witness. And uh, Lazarus, you're just not doing anything. You just sit on a table all the time. You know, you need to go wash dishes. There's no committee for that. Just natural, right? Just naturally allowing your gifts and abilities to nurture the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ needs nurturing. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I could really use an encouraging word today, then chances are there's somebody else that feels exactly like you, right? And so we need to look for ways that we can be part of that solution for one another. So look at Mary. Mary, verse 3, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now there's a couple of unusual things that, that we want to talk about in this regard. One, the cost. Because the cost is initially going to come up, right? She takes something that would have been her dowry, part of her dowry. Part of what would be given to her to take care of her in her later years, right? And so she's got this, something that would be part of a, of a wedding gift perhaps or something that added value to her as a, as a wife should that day arise in Mary's life. But there was nothing more precious to Mary than Jesus. And so this costly oil of spikenard, uh, um, in the 90s, you could buy it for $800 an ounce. So she had a pound. This is a Roman pound. So a Roman pound is around 12 ounces. It's uh, uh, measured by weight, not volume. So things are a little weird in that regard. But anyway, she's got this. It's, it's in some type of jar. The other gospels tell us an alabaster jar, right? And they take that. She's going to take that jar. She's not going to just pop the top. There was no pop in the top. How'd you open the jar? You had to break it, which means you, you use it. Once you open it, it gets used. So she's going to break her alabaster jar. Now, the other gospels, I just want to, I just want to harmonize here. The other gospels tell us what's going to happen. She's going to break her alabaster jar and she's going to pour it out on Jesus' head. Now it's a lot. Twelve. You ever poured twelve ounces of oil on your head? Hmm. You want to go home and try it, don't you? <laughs> so here's what G. I just want you to understand. Jesus says what she has done. She has anointed me for my burial. So where's the oil go? From the head to the feet. One gospel says she anointed the head. The other the feet. What's the point? It's his whole body. You want to do the experiment? You know, if you got one of them old quartz oil, put a, put a uh, spout on it and hold that over your head. You can measure 12 ounces just in case you want to see what happens. Yeah, that's going everywhere. So they, she pours out, she anoints him, and as this goes, this is the point of worship. Worship is an act of humility before a holy God. 
uh, has nothing to do with songs. It has everything to do with providing worth or value to our king. So what does she do is she anoints him. Now he's reclining there at the table. It's very easy for her to do. And as she pours this out, this fragrance oil out, she finds herself in the position of worship that she had many times. Uh, The Greek word is proskeneu, to bow down, to prostrate oneself. That's a, a station of humility. It's not, it's not an attitude of, well, this is the only way to worship is if I lay on my belly. No, the point is, what did laying on your belly mean? What did bowing down mean? It was an act of what? Humility. It's an act of humility. The Bible tells us that when we come before the Lord, he does not want us to come before him full of pride. How does he want us to come? In humility, Right? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And what does he say? I will lift you up. That's worship. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. That's what we, we do. We traditionalize it as we sing thoughtful songs about the glory of God, the beauty of God. But the point is exactly what Mary's laying out. So as she humbles herself, as she pours out this costly, this costly oil of spikenard, she's going to prostrate herself. That means she's going to be on her knees right by his feet. And so... She's going to see that oil on his feet. She's going to use the one thing that was most precious to a Jewish woman. In fact, it was not even socially acceptable for them to let their hair down. She's going to take her hair out and she's going to take what is her glory and use it to wipe his feet. There's a lot of really incredible pictures there incredible ideas as she is there she wipes his feet with her hair now the the cool thing is as she humbles herself and as she does this i just want you to understand she is going to smell just like jesus isn't she she's gonna smell just like him her hair's gonna have that perfume in it she makes this beautiful action, and in fact, Jesus says, everywhere they, they share the gospel, they're going to tell this story. In a minute, you know, no good deed will go unpunished. So in a minute, the, the disciples are all going to holler at her. Before they start hollering, they just want us to get a good feeling for the beauty of it. Jesus is going to say, she has done this to anoint me for my burial, And the question rises up, the second thing, not just the cost, is does she know? We sing a different song about this time of year, right? About Mary, did you know? Mary, the mother of Jesus, did you know who your son was? Here, a different Mary, but I I wonder, does she know? Uh, How many times did Jesus tell his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, die, be buried, and rise on the third day? Multiple times throughout the Gospels, Jesus has said these very plain words. It cracks me up when people say, why didn't Jesus just say it plainly? I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to get plainer. Sometimes I'll sit down with somebody, I'm having a a discussion with them, and in my discussion, I will make mention of something, and as I do that, I'll, I'll sit there and they don't get it. And I will literally say, I don't know how to say this another way. So... I'm wherever the bridge we're not crossing, I don't know how to get across. Jesus literally said, going to Jerusalem, I will be arrested. I will be crucified. I will be buried and I will rise again. He said that. I'm in my brain. I want to say nine times, but that might be too many. But anyways, the point is he said it. And so did Mary get it? Did she understand it? Here we are. We're in the place. They're, they're headed to Jerusalem. She knows that the, the right. She knows that the people want to kill him. They tried to kill him the last two times he was around. And and here it's Passover time, six days before Passover. Every Jewish male is going to go to Jerusalem, so Jesus is going to go. 
Last time we looked at the scripture, they said, do you think he'll come? Do you think he'll come? Yeah, he'll be there. He's got a date with a cross. Did Mary know? And so she anoints him with the most beautiful thing that she had, and she wipes it, uh, wipes his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with a fragrance. This is the other thing I want you to understand about this fragrance. It would last weeks. Nowadays, you use perfume and it's gone, you know, a few hours. You know that's on purpose, right? Here's the, here's the great mind of the corporate America. You want to make more money? Don't make anything that lasts. <clears throat> uh, shampoo, for example. Do you know it didn't always say rinse and repeat on the bottle? You notice that the bottle says rinse and repeat? Why? Because your hair didn't get clean the first time? Nope. So you go throw the bottle faster. And you go through the bottle faster, and then you have to buy what? More shampoo. We can make perfume. In the old days, I'm old, I can remember. In the olden days, you could buy a light bulb, and it would sit in your garage and be on for years and years and years. Can you imagine such a thing now? I literally am changing bulbs around this place like crazy. People don't make things to last. This oil of spikenard would last weeks. So I just want you to consider something. In one week's time, Jesus is going to be nailed to the cross. There will be people there at the foot of the cross looking at some of the, the most horrific scene of history. And if they block that out and they close their eyes and they breathed in, they would smell the perfume. The Bible declares that the sacrifices that we give unto the Lord are a sweet fragrance before the Lord. And so you have this illustration happening as Mary pours out this, this perfume on Christ that would have been there. It would have been part of the whole um, sense. All the things that your senses would, would be taking in at the crucifixion. One thing would be out of place, right? Like I see this, but it all smells so sweet. So, Scripture says, then, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he would betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Because everybody always has something to say about everything. <laughs> right? Judas Iscariot. Now, the other Gospels tell us all the disciples. So, John narrows out Judas because he wants to say some things about his character. But the Bible tells us, the other Gospels say, all the disciples were busting her chops. What are you doing? Oh, you just poured all that out. You know, that, you know how much that, because the, what are they thinking about? All the disciples, those guys, are all thinking about the future. And we, we've got to plan for the future, and so we could use that. We could use 300 denarii. They're not thinking this is all over in six days. How many times have we had this conversation where we said, if I knew this was the last time I was going to be talking to so-and-so, I would have said, how many times? How many times have we, because do we know? Man, we have no idea. We have no idea. And certainly this year, my goodness, there's been so much grief and sorrow and sadness. And I guess my point is, and the lesson we can take from Mary is, what are you going to wait for tomorrow for? Say the thing you, should, you think you should have said. Now. Express your heart to one another. Don't wait they're planning on the future. They're saying, we got all this time. You have six days. 
in six days, and the night of the fifth day, you're going to all run away from Jesus and leave him abandoned. He's going to be beaten and he's going to be crucified. Your whole world is radically going to change because you never heard Jesus when he said these things. And here Mary is pouring out this extravagant gift, maybe because she understands, maybe because she knows, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I just know that it, she's not going to say, I wish I'd have said, right? Martha's not going to say, I wish I could have served him one more time. Well, she might, but she served him well, right? So we want to, we want to recognize, look, it's, it's sometimes we need to just recognize it is for now. It is for this day. <clears throat> so Judas, <clears throat> he wants this money. <clears throat> Excuse me, he wants to spend it. Bible says in verse 6, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he'd help himself to what was put in there. So, so maybe Judas saw an opportunity, maybe, but this raises a lot of questions about Judas. It raises a lot of questions for me. The Bible tells us that, that uh, God decreed that Jesus would be betrayed, it's prophesied. And people always struggle with the idea, well, does Judas ever have a choice? Was it just God pulling the string in heaven that God decreed Judas therefore? Well, I will say God decreed and Judas would betray uh, the Lord, but, but we need to kind of flip over and pay attention to what Scripture is laying out for us here. Here's how the decrees of God and the responsibility of man functions. The Bible says this, God decrees, he decrees the betrayal. Judas is going to betray Jesus. God uses a human instrument, human nations in the Old Testament, all the same way. But the human instrument is not motivated or coerced by God. The human instrument just does what he wants to do. God doesn't make them do it. They act because of their own sinful desires. Judas acted because of his own sinful desires, and he betrayed Christ. God decreed it because God knows the end from the beginning. And so God, knowing the heart of Judas, that Judas would that this was the, the attitude that Jews would, Judas would take. Therefore, God is able to bring righteous judgment on Judas. Judas is not forced. Judas does what he does because that's who Judas is. I think it's interesting when we consider the betrayal of Judas and the denial of Peter because to me those are parallel events. Right? Oh, Judas betrays the Lord, gets paid 30 pieces of silver, right? The most famous uh, uh, amount ever paid. Everybody, almost everybody knows Jesus, Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Judas goes back and throws the silver back in the building, runs outside, and hangs himself. After three and a half years of being with Jesus, he did not go to Jesus to be his savior. He went to suicide for his savior. Peter. Peter denies Jesus in the same way, right? Do you know, oh, no, I never knew him. I never knew him. While G Peter's in the, in the courtyard, Jesus is being beaten. Peter's in the courtyard. Jesus is being beaten. Their eyes lock, according to the Gospel of Luke. Jesus looks at Peter at the final betrayal, and it says that Peter's heart broke within him. And he wept bitterly, which means he's wailing, and he runs out. The difference between the two is Peter went to Jesus to be his Savior. You can go to Jesus to be your savior or you can go anywhere else. You can run to alcohol, you can run to drugs. You can you, you are free to seek salvation anywhere you want. Busyness, success, it doesn't matter. But Jesus Christ is the only one 
by which men must be saved. He's the one who is able to save. Even to the uttermost. That's what the word declares. He is able. So why? What's the issue? Why is Peter, why does Judas do this? Why is it that he does this? Why is he complaining? Selfishness. Selfishness is his thing. Selfishness is a problem for everybody, isn't it? Selfishness is is an issue. In Mark 14, 4, when we, when we read about the story in Mark, it says, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was that ointment wasted like that? This ointment could have been sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. So I just want you to picture, you have this beautiful picture of worship, right? She's on her knees. She's, she's prostrate, the word for worship. She's wiped his his feet with her hair, the, the anointing has taken place, and immediately people start to give her grief. And why do they want to give it to the poor? Jesus is going to say, in a moment, the poor you will have with you always, but you don't always have me. It's the idea, right, of taking advantage of the time. Lord, teach me to number my days that I might apply the heart of wisdom Teach me to number my days so I don't waste my time. So I take advantage of the opportunities that lay out before me. A lot of times people want to give to the poor because it makes them feel good. Really? I mean, makes me feel good. I like it. Is that selfish? They, they, maybe they wanted uh, to, to trade places off. She had a good idea, and we like to push people down when somebody has something cool that they're able to do. And I don't know. Selfishness is the root and pride. And that pride is what comes flowing through. They were indignant and cried out, why this waste? Are you kidding me? Can you imagine standing before Jesus Christ as king of kings and someone giving him a gift and saying, why are you wasting that? Can you imagine those words? Seems so hard to understand. And then you have the reassurance of Jesus. He said, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. The poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. Jesus is gone in six days. They're all going to be huddled in a room, hiding, freaking out. I probably won't be thinking of this moment till later on. But, but as all of those pieces are coming together, we know what's coming for them. Jesus knows what's coming for them. He says, she's done this for my burial. I've been anointed. The sacrifice of Christ is sweet smelling incense. And then verse 9. Now when the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now I want you to understand what all this means. The last great act that Jesus did before the crucifixion was raising Lazarus from the dead. He goes to Bethany, has this meal uh, Mary anoints him for his burial. Crowds throng to Bethany. Not very, Bethany's not very far from Jerusalem. Crowds throng to this place in Bethany and they're wanting to see Jesus and they're wanting to see Lazarus and they're going to turn around and walk to Jerusalem. And there's going to be this big crowd there following Jesus as he comes into the city. You've seen this day before. We've talked about it before, right? Jesus entering in at the precise time that God declares. In verse 10 it says, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. You gotta kill them witnesses, right? Um, Lazarus just being alive was a witness. He's a witness to who Christ is. Remember I told you, people don't raise, aren't raised from the dead every day, Right? Yeah, it was, it was shocking for them too. People don't get raised from the dead after being dead for four days either. Yeah? 
man, this is incredible evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. We need to kill Lazarus too. Sometimes just being associated with Jesus will cost you something. Right? Oh, what did Lazarus really do? I was dead. Now I'm alive. And you want to kill me. I don't know. I've been there already. I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> I, don't, I honestly don't think Lazarus was too freaked out. You know, for those of us who have never been dead, it's a little, it's a little freakier. But for Lazarus, it was like, yeah, no. Been there, done that. They want to put Lazarus to death. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So we shift to the second act. First act, the anointing in Bethany. Jesus covered with this beautiful perfume that will be with him all the way to the cross. Now the next day, that large crowd that had come to the feast heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Hey, he's coming to Jerusalem. Now, just a couple miles away. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him. And they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So they go out, they're shouting because the people know. This guy gave sight to the blind, made the lame to walk, cured the lepers, raised the dead, declared himself to be God. The scriptures say he's doing what Messiah would do. He says he's doing what Messiah would do. This is Messiah. The people are out. They're, they're proclaiming him king. They are singing psalms of ascent, and they are singing psalms of the monarch. That was stuff you did for the king. You know, that's going to freak out a lot of people. It does, the scribes and the Pharisees are going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, you need to get them to be quiet. The Romans are going to hear, right? Or, or there's a lot of people you're going to offend with this message. A lot of people are going to be freaked out. What are you doing? Remember what Jesus said? If I make these be silent, the rocks themselves will cry out. Because he is king of all the universe. And they're proclaiming him king. And I don't want you to miss some of the things that are taking place. So first, I want to talk about the palm branches. What's the point? The palm branches, they represent strength, beauty, joy, and salvation. They are always used at the Feast of the Tabernacles. Uh, it's a part of the Feast of the Tabernacles, which symbolizes the children of Israel during the wilderness when they lived in tents. So they would live in tents outside, right? They would get into booths. And that when they would do that because, I believe, they're fulfilling prophetically what the Scripture declared. What did the Scripture declare? That the Word became flesh. You know what that word is? The word for flesh, the Word became flesh, is the word tabernacled. He tented with us. How did he tent with us? The word became flesh. God put on, he tabernacled himself in flesh and bone, Jesus Christ. And so they would have palm branches and they put out the palm branches and they're saying, here we are in the wilderness, but we're looking for our deliverer, for our deliverer is coming. So when they go out with those palm branches, they're declaring, they're making this declaration the declaration that the king has come. It says in Leviticus 23, 40, and you will take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, bows of, of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you will rejoice before the Lord seven days. So they're rejoicing before the Lord. Sign of rejoicing. Revelation 7, it's not the last time we'll see them. Revelation chapter 7, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with what? Palm branches in their hands. 
palm branches in their hands, a symbol of victory, beauty, joy, salvation. This is the host of those saved. The, the, the innumerable host of those who have been saved throughout time, standing before the throne of God, arrayed in white robes, because he who knew no sin became my sin, that I might become the righteousness of God. So he bestows upon me a white robe, and I am going to be filled with joy, and I am going to have a palm branch in my hand to celebrate who he is. So here they have palm branches and they're lining the road. Now, if you go to Israel, the road to Bethany goes up over the Mount of Olives. It's right on the backside of the Mount of Olives. So you come up from the backside of the Mount of Olives and as you crest the top of the Mount of Olives, you see the temple immediately. And then we walk this every time we go to Israel. And then you walk down this path that goes down that hill Today it's paved super steep. Crazy how steep it is. A dude on a skateboard would die. <laughs> I would for sure. That thing, you're fly, you'd be flying on that. So the, we walk down this hill and you're walking down and you, there you see the temple just arrayed before you. And you literally would walk straight down, straight up the other side and right into today what they call the Eastern Gate, the Golden Gate. Elijah, at the time of the exile, made a prophecy about the glory leaving the temple. At the time of the exile, the glory leaves the temple until Jesus Christ comes back in. When Jesus walks through the eastern gate, the same gate the glory left, the glory returned. And where's the first place he went? to my father's house. And he said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. And he cleansed the temple, right? The glory of the Lord returned. But the people had rejected that. And after a few days of examination, Jesus is going to be there. Uh, They're going to finally reject him. Jesus will turn and leave and say, see, your house is left to you desolate. It's not my father's house. That house is yours. The glory is coming. It's a big deal. The, the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 9, there's a lot of really smart guys, way smarter than me, who have basically pinpoint, pinpointed the return of Christ to... Uh, to the prophecies in Daniel chapter 9 so that when Jesus is coming down that hill the other gospels tell us as he's coming down and he looks at Jerusalem and he sees her he weeps over her and he said oh Jerusalem Jerusalem you who slay the prophets and kill those who are sent to you if you only only you had known the things that make for your peace today is the day Daniel told you I was coming The Magi knew. Interesting, because when you do a study in the book of Daniel, you'll discover that Daniel was given to be the chief of the wise men. You always wonder where the Magi get the understanding? It wasn't from Eastern mysticism. Where'd they get it? Daniel. He was their chief. He wrote a book. You guys have heard of it, right? Daniel. In the book of Daniel, it says when Jesus is coming. It's the craziest thing ever. They said, we've, we've discovered looking through the book, right? We discovered looking through the book, Jesus weeping over the city. If you had known this, your day, the day that the Lord has made. The people are singing the Hallel Psalm, Psalm 118.22. Here's what they're singing. The stone that the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. Think about what's going on right now. Jesus walking in the city, he is the stone that the builders are going to reject, right? He is the chief of the corner. Everything's built on him. This is the Lord's doing. This is God's purpose, not plan B, C, D. This is God's plan. 
This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous. It's a wonder in our eyes. They can't even comprehend it. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Glad in it. <clears throat> Save us, we pray. Oh, you guys didn't know you already knew Hebrew, huh? Hosanna. You've sung that before, right? Yeah, that's what it means. Save us, we pray. Save now, Lord. Save. Save me. Hosanna. Save us, we pray. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, we pray. Give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. This is the psalm they're declaring. This is what they're singing out as Jesus is coming in. Verse 14. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, the scripture teaches us there's two ways that a king comes. One, a king comes to bring peace. He would come on a donkey. Why? Because it's humiliating. Not many kings ever did this. Because most kings would say, I need to give a show of strength. I need to, I need to be able to, to, to strive for peace with my enemies by giving them a show of strength. So I'm going to have the biggest horse I got, the biggest army I got, and that's what I'm coming in on. But Jesus, he didn't need any of that. And yes, he was coming to those who were at enmity with God. Literally, to those who were at war with God, he was coming to make peace. So he came on a donkey Anybody afraid of that? It looks ridiculous. You ever rode a donkey in the Middle East? Okay. God help you. It is the most horrific thing I have ever endured in my life. Literally, I don't even, I, I think it was torture for Joseph to put Mary on a donkey. It, I don't know how they did it. They had the boniest spine on earth, and <laughs> my feet drag. So you don't look cool. Jackie, why do you ride a Harley? Well, because I want to look cool, mostly. <laughs> I want to look cool. I want to sound cool. I don't care if you think it's cool. I do. You know what I mean? So to say, I'm going to be like saying, Jackie, I have a Vespa. Oh, yay. I'm going to go ride a Vespa. And I'm, I will tell you, I love all things with two wheels, and I'm okay. But it's hard to look cool on a Vespa in my brain. Hard to look cool on a Vespa. It's a little easier on a hog. I don't know, just, just me. You be, you be cool for you. That's all good with me. You get on a donkey, your feet are dragging, a big old bony spine. I'm sure they... they the Bible tells us they, they would have laid things across the back of the, of the donkey. There's no help in that donkey, I'm going to tell you. It's a good thing that ride was like two miles because I don't know if I would have been able to have gone any longer than that. I literally had a hard time staying on a donkey. I kept having to put a foot down and push me back up. I'm falling over one way, I'm falling over the other way. There's no saddle. There's no, uh, you know, and besides it, let's just face it, folks. I am not a cowboy. I'm sorry. When I first got here, Barry Seeklander took me to his home, and he said, Jackie, I'm going to teach you to ride a horse. Yeah, that didn't work out so good. You can, you can ask Barry for the story, but um, I still, as of today, am not capable of riding a horse. For the most part, I'm afraid of horses. They're humongous. I think they want to bite me in the face, bite me on the head. Yeah. So I'm not sure why I'm talking about horses. But anyway, <clears throat> when, we, <clears throat> when we look at it, right, Jesus, I just want you to see. Scripture said, Jesus, don't be afraid, right? Here comes the glory. The glory of the Lord is returning. He's riding a donkey. Nobody's afraid of that. Instead of an army, he has worshipers with palm branches in their hand. Anybody afraid? 
No. Nobody's afraid because what? Jesus Christ is coming to bring peace. He is become our peace. He's coming to, to work a peace treaty between rebellious man and rebellion against him and holy God. And he's going to do it on the cross. He's going to accomplish peace. So this is what the prophecy is all about. Hey, it's out of Zechariah 9.9. 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Listen, your king is coming to you. Righteous and with salvation. Humble. Mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. Zechariah 9.9. 9. Your king is come to you in peace. He's going to provide peace, justification. There's another entry of the king the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about in Revelation 19. If you know, Revelation 19 is uh, the last battle, right? The battle of Armageddon. Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are a flame of fire. His head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Two ways the king comes. One, the king comes humbly to give peace. When Jesus was born, <clears throat> we celebrate this time of year the birth of Christ. What did the angels sing? What did they sing? Peace on earth. The king is coming in peace. He will provide for your peace. This is what he has, the humble king. Verse 16, John 12. <clears throat> His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered all the things, all these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. It's a big tumult. Coming into the eastern gate, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. That's why the big crowd won the triumphal entry of Christ. They all come out because here he comes, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, humbly riding a donkey into the gate. Nobody's afraid. He has not come to make war. He has come to bring peace. And he wrought that peace on the cross. So that where you and I who are at war with God, at enmity with God, he has provided for our peace. All man stands guilty before holy and just God and Christ took and paid our debt so that we next to him might stand before the Father and be declared right that's what he did that's what he came to accomplish that's what everything that he was doing all his ministry was leading up to the people gathered the the people proclaimed him king he fulfilled the scriptures he fulfilled what the scripture said his works would be and ultimately he's going to fulfill it all the way onto the cross right See, that's what Christmas is really all about. It's, it's not about all the gifts and the tinsel. It's all fun. It's cool. I like it. 
No, I don't. <laughs> Shouldn't lie in church, huh? I, I try. But all my swear, you'll see. So we're doing the Christmas Eve thing today. and uh, Or not, the ornament exchange today. <clears throat> so my, my wife loves to make everything fun. You should be thankful for her. Because otherwise there would be no fun. I'm, I'm, I'm not fun. Ask anybody who knows me. I'm not the fun guy. Kathy's the fun guy. I hang out with her because I want to have fun. So, so she's, she, she tries this every year. We're going to do, what did you call it? A parade? Of sweaters? Crazy Christmas clothes. So, so my wife goes out and, and actually spends all year buying stuff for this. When I came to church this morning, I noticed my stuff was laying out on the bed. <laughs> which, which indicates that there will probably be some of that, you know, for me. There will be me putting on. Usually she buys, she buys me because she, she knows I'm a Grinch at heart. I have all this Grinch stuff. So she, but the last time she bought me, a, she said uh, I've been looking more and more like Santa Claus. So she bought me a Santa Claus sweater that is, she said, perfect because I'm fat now. So, so now, now I look more like, now I, now I look more like Santa Claus. Okay, so there, I got derailed. So let's bring it around. Christmas is not about all this stuff, right? That stuff's for us to have fun. And having fun is okay. There's nothing wrong with having fun. But Jesus Christ was born to make peace between man who had rebelled against God and God. Jesus, who is himself God, put on flesh, came and died our death so that death may become a doorway to his presence. Now, man still dies today, but now death is not the winner. Now death is just a doorway to the presence of the Lord. And we stand before God according to Jude. Jude declares that when we come, if I when I close my eyes here on earth, I'm going to open them before a throne. And there is going to be the representation of God the Father, Yahweh in all his glory. And I'm probably going to be a little bit anxious. But right beside me is going to be Jesus. This is what the Bible says, Jude 24, 25. You read it. And Jesus is going to throw his arm around my shoulder. He's going to walk me up to the Father. And he's going to present me, not as I am, a wretch, a, a, you know, what all the, all the bad things. We all got them. He's not going to present me with all the bad stuff. He's going to walk me up to the Father. And the Jude says he's going to present me faultless before the throne because he's faultless. He's covering me. And he stands me and he says, Dad, I want you to meet Jackie. He's, he's faultless before your throne. That is a beautiful thing. Because without that, I have to stand on my merit. And my merit it's not good. Neither is yours, in case you're wondering. <laughs> right? The Bible says we're all sinners, separated from a holy God. The story of Christmas is that God came, was born to be your peace. He is the peace offering. He became the peace offering because we couldn't. Because we're rebels at heart. We don't want peace. That's why the Bible says, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. I know you didn't ask him for it. And it's fine, really. He came as the humble king at Christmas time. There will be a day he comes back as the conquering king. So if you don't want to stand in the light of the peace offering that he has given, you can choose to stand on your own merit. 
before the king when he returns with his army. But on that day, nobody's going to be bold. Nobody will. I hear lots of talk. Words are easy. I don't worry about that. It's the doing that gets to the hard part. And the Bible says what will happen. What will happen on that day? Every knee will. Every tongue will. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It glory, brings glory to the Father when the Son is exalted. Isn't that awesome? And why does it bring glory to the Father when the Son is exalted? It does because he became our peace offering. He made peace. So he is truly the greatest gift ever given. John 3.16 is the best Christmas verse ever. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a good reason for the season. And this is what John 12 is transitioning us to. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Welcome to your first Christmas miracle. Jackie's done four minutes early. <laughs> Father God, we just come before you, Lord, and we give you praise and glory. We thank you, God, for who you are. Lord, I thank you for the picture of worship and service and witness I thank you for the beauty of the offering that, that Mary gave, where she poured out her best on you because you are the only thing that matters. Why? Because you are our Prince of Peace. You are the peace child. It was this incredible story in Africa of two tribes that would war and the only way to stop war between the two tribes was the one king would have a son and he would give it to the other tribe. They would call that child the peace child. And the other tribe would love that child and care for that child. And when the missionaries came to that tribe, they said they were having a hard time comprehending the lamb and you know all the things that the language of the Bible doesn't translate to every culture. And so the missionary said, well, Jesus became the peace child. And he was given to the rebellious people of the world. But instead of taking care of him, they hated him. And they put him on a cross and they killed him. And the tribe said, that's the worst thing anybody could ever do. They couldn't imagine anything more heinous than killing a peace child, but the missionary went on to say, but this is how Jesus Christ has become our peace child. He made peace by the cross for us all so that whoever would repent and believe, whosoever would call upon his name, anyone who would run to him as Savior instead of anything else, he has made peace. We can be accepted in the beloved. We can be adopted as children, heirs and joint heirs together with him. This is what Christ has given. And in the days we walk in, the craziness that's going on around us and the fear and the, just all that stuff, May we never lose sight. He is everything. And there's nothing that we will ever give the king who gave all for me that we should be rebuked over. Whatever we lay at his feet, may we lay it there and reach out our hands for the one most precious in all the universe. The king who came, who brought peace. 
Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit in this place. Lord, anoint your people. Help us love one another as we should. Help us comfort one another. Help us have a kind word in season. Help us do the hard things. Help us do the good things. Help us do all the things that we need to do in your name. May God, may you be glorified in the way we love you. May you be glorified in the way we worship you. May you be glorified in the way we do the things you've called us to do. And in and through it all, I pray that you would be glorified and magnified. And may we, your people, lift up your name on high. For you declared that if the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. God, we thank you and we praise you for your gift and this day in Jesus' name. Amen.